Well, we're going to be jumping back into our series here this morning, uh, our multi-week series, uh, coming to the end of our summer series on uh, discipleship and change. Uh, The subheading here is Helping People Change, uh, Extending Care, and Building Hope. And the extending care piece is really about how to provide love, how to extend love and show love to those who are... um, we're working with in a discipleship relationship or that, um, that we may be actually counseling uh, in something closer to uh, a crisis or a difficult situation that they're involved with. So we're going to be walking through a, a number of things here uh, over the next few minutes, uh, some of which is going to be a little bit of review up front here because it's been a couple of weeks since we have uh, had the opportunity to come together and talk about uh, this. Uh, we had a little interruption last week, which was wonderful to hear from our, our missionary friend. Um, and then um, there have been a, a few questions that have come up around uh, the general concept of discipleship, and so I think I'll, I'll address a couple of those, hopefully up front here, and then we'll get into the core of, uh, of the concepts of extending love and building hope, providing hope to those in need. So let me uh, just jump right in here. First of all, I want to apologize. Uh, I do have a, I'm coming off of a cold, so um, hopefully the uh, the guys in the back can uh, be quick with the cough button, um, but I am sort of losing my voice here and there, so I, I'll try to get through that. Um, and hopefully uh, this all makes sense to you as we go through it as well. So if it doesn't make sense, then you didn't hear what I, what I intended to say because of the cold. So how's that? Um, all right, so let's, let's talk about discipleship and this, this broad concept as hopefully you're beginning to see that it is. Uh, remember, uh, the, the whole concept of discipleship in some circles has been uh, relegated to a specific relationship that's one-on-one with, uh, with an agenda and a schedule uh, and specific meeting places at certain times throughout the month and has a specific length of time. And clearly that's not what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Uh, it is a, a broader relationship um, being described as, in some circles, as a biblical friendship. You've heard some of these before. Uh, we're really equipping each other and ourselves to serve one another uh, in the Lord, helping each other become more like Christ, um, a spiritual friendship, doing good to other people to help them in their walk with Christ, to be more Christ-like, uh, helping one another simply follow our master, Jesus Christ. Uh, and here's an interesting one, you know, really trying to look at each other through the eyes of Christ, as it were, and seeing our, helping each other uh, as we see our own, uh, our own sin, our own need for, uh, uh, for a righteous Savior. Uh, it is sort of the, in, for the believer, uh, a discipleship is really part of sanctification. It's almost sanctification in and of itself in a group situation or a uh, with multiple people around you. It's sort of the inexorable change toward, and necessary change towards Christ-likeness. So we've talked a lot about that over the last several weeks, but just as a reminder, this is, this is um, really a biblical friendship. It can happen in, at any given period of time, at any get, point in time. It can happen uh, with, um, uh, with a crisis situation, obviously, or a counseling situation, but it can also happen as you purposely reach out to someone, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Remember, the, we are actually commanded to, to enter into these relationships with one another. Um, it seems a little scary that we have that kind of a command in Scripture, uh, but it, and it, it's not optional uh, for the believer. Um, Romans uh, 12, 10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. There's a lot in that, and that is what we're we're called to do and to be uh, as as fellow believers in the body of Christ. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Uh, In Hebrews, we are told in Hebrews 10, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to what? Stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, later, uh, earlier in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 3, we see, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Quite a warning, quite a command there to, to help each other, not in at certain times, not at certain periods, but day by day. We are to come alongside each other, discipling one another. And for a very specific purpose, um, it's interesting. He, he's warning us there to, that we can become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So again, who is to be discipling? Well, I think it's pretty clear, and we'll see here in a, as we go through this more and more, everyone, every believer is to be involved at one level or another in this. Uh, it's not just elders. Um, we see in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, um, a very interesting context and, and, uh, and, and direction from Paul here. He says, uh, but we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those uh, who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you may esteem them very highly in love in their work. Okay, that's great. Those are the, those people in leadership over you. Then he says, live in peace with one another. Remember, he's speaking to the congregation here. He's speaking to the body of believers. And then he goes on, we urge you, brethren, not just the elders. He says, we urge you, brethren, the church, to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with everyone and see that no one repays another with uh, evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another. For all people, First Thessalonians 5:12. So you, you see there, he's speaking over, if you will, uh, the leadership of the church, right to the body of believers there to become involved with each other and to do things which seem a little challenging. Un admonishing the unruly isn't that the job of the pastor? No, that's part of what we do with each other. Encouraging. Helping the weak, all those things are part of what we should be doing. And again, it's directed at the body of believers. So the context of Paul's letter there is the church and not just those who have charge over you. The instruction is given to then preach the gospel to one another for the purpose of encouraging and building up. Now we see it later in 1 Thessalonians 9, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. And then he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are also doing. So this is something that's to be ongoing. We're to be helping each other, discipling each other on an ongoing basis. So remember, too, later on, we see the, uh, the vivid picture of the, of the body of Christ where various roles are distributed throughout the church rather than in only certain offices. This, this wonderful analogy we see in Ephesians um, and in Romans demonstrates both the providence of God and the practical use of God, of each saint by God in the church. Ephesians 4, you're very familiar with uh, many of these verses, uh, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave what? Some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. What? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. We're all participants in that building up. From whom the whole body being fitted together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. This causes growth of, uh, of the body for what? The building up of itself in love. This is what we do together. So this concept of discipleship is something that is ingrained in Scripture. It is commanded for the, for the saints to be doing. It may not use the word the way we use it, but this concept is very clear. We also see later on uh, Paul very clear. You're very familiar with uh, Romans 12. Right at the very beginning of the chapter, the Lord provides us this, this wonderful picture of the living sacrifice, which uh, we'll get to in just a second here. Um, 
really the whole chapter of, of Romans 12 is an excellent place to start with the understanding of our role within the body. But just at the beginning here in verse 4, he says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. And then he says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. And if that's not enough, think about this. The believers in the church are described in a very interesting way. We're described as a holy priesthood. We often wonder sometimes that, um, you know, if I've never been formally trained, should I or, or can I disciple or counsel anybody else? I've never been to seminary. I've never taken classes. I've never been to seminars. But remember, believers in Jesus Christ have been appointed as priests to what? Serve the Lord, and in large part by ministering to each other. First Peter, tell, uh, Peter tells us in First Peter, um, uh, First Peter two. I'm sorry, if I have this right, this doesn't look right. Yeah, First Peter two. Sorry, First Peter two. He says, "And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but." is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now we begin to see what Paul was talking about back there in Romans. We are, to, we are given a spiritual gift to give as a spiritual offering to the Lord, and that is the servicing of one another in large part. We're to preach the Word of God to each other as ministering priests. It's really interesting. First Peter 2, again, a little bit later, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people in God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. And yes, that does mean externally, but it also means internally, and we'll see that here in a, in a few minutes. All priests offer sacrifices. We see that in Hebrews 8.3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And the context there is speaking of, of the Lord Jesus and the, the holy priesthood which he has taken up. But then he goes on. We see in Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God, beloved children, walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now, try not to play too much with the words here, but it begins, begins to be clear that one of, as, a, as a holy priesthood, we are to offer a sacrifice to each other of ministering to each other. And I think that'll become more and more clear here. Even in the Old Testament, God was looking for more than rote adherence to the law. Rather, he was looking for a changed heart and better relationships for the believers towards him. <clears throat> for you are not a delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Or, I'm sorry, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise these. Psalm 51, you're familiar with that. God is looking for more than us to be legalistically walking through specific sacraments. We are to be ministering to one another, giving back to one another. So again, specifically, what is this sacrifice? Well, it's ministering. And that is really offering the sacrifices of contributing to the needs of the saints. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual work of service. Romans 12. So it's very clear. Paul describes in great detail the sacrifice that we as priests, if you will, are to offer up in Romans chapter 12. He addresses uh, many questions that we may have of the broad or universal responsibility of each believer to participate, to serve in giving a ministry, in ministry, and the ministry of sacrifice. In verse 6, he clarifies what we have all been given as gifts to serve with. Since we have all been, I'm sorry, since we all have gifts that differ 
according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Again, Romans 12, 6. So we are given gifts by the grace of God, by His, His providence and by His wisdom. Each of us has gifts to give. Gifts of service in the ministry begin, we see later on, include that of prophecy, that is, the proclaiming of God's Word, not some Nostradamus thing of predicting the future. It is, it is proclaiming God's Word. Some have a gift to do that. Certainly, some have the gift of service. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of exhorting, some giving, some leading. Some have the gift of mercy. Some actually have the, devotion, the gift of devotion and preference to one another, contributing to the needs of others. Some have the gift of hospitality. Some have the gift of consolation and association even, going after those who are not the most popular in the body, but sitting down beside those who need friendship and help. The gift of respect and peacemaking, all these things are, part, are, are laid out in Scripture that we have, each of us has one or some of those. Okay, so there's our responsibility. Um, it's pretty clear in Scripture, and there's more. You can go on and on and on with all of this. But our main topic for today is really about how to do two things. Loving one another, extending love to each other, clearly to those who are in a, in a crisis situation, clearly to those who are in need, but also to the, each of us in a day-to-day fashion, as the Lord ex- exhorted us to do earlier. And the second thing is giving hope to one another. So we're going to talk about those two things over the next few minutes. So the concept of, of biblical discipleship is, is really quite broad. Um, it includes the building of spiritual friendships within the body for daily assistance in sanctification. We all need help with that, and that is that process that will go on until the Lord returns. It also includes uh, occasional or intermittent engagements for mutual benefits, such as teaching and encouragement and support. But it also includes counseling and crisis situations as well. We've discussed uh, previously in the series here the, the practical practices of effective questioning and listening and observing and, and discernment and the building of relationships. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Chris did a, a wonderful job of walking us through many specific practical things that will help us in developing those relationships and the, the moment-by-moment day-by-day interaction with each other to help to get to know each other. So there's, you know, a, a fundamental aspect of discipleship and counseling, and that is really showing love to one another. None of this makes sense in an academic fashion. With, without showing love, it's very difficult to, to get to know anybody. It's very difficult for someone to take you seriously. It's very difficult to help someone because we've got to to understand what somebody is dealing with and what each other are dealing with, not just in a crisis situation, but a, again, a day-by-day walk with the Lord. So, <clears throat> talking about extending love, the first question is, what is love? Well, interestingly enough, um, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14 to pursue love and that love is greater than either faith or hope. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13. So, what is it? We're commanded in both the Old Testament and the New Testament by Jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves. See that in Leviticus. We see that in Matthew 22. Jesus commands us to even love our enemies, which clearly differentiates us from unbelievers because even as he says, you know, the, the, the tax collectors love one another and are gracious to one another. Jesus then commands us to love one another. John 13, 34 A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, so that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Interesting contrast there between what the world thinks of love is and what Scripture is. The world thinks of love in more in terms of romance or feelings that happen, feelings that come and go, but the Lord Jesus is telling us commanding us to love, which indicates that love is not just that little feeling that you might have. It is 
It's a work. It is, it's an activity. It's something that you can do. It's something that you can generate. It's something that you can extend purposefully and then obviously should. He tells us to love one another just as I have loved you in John 15. So love is more than just that feeling. Many of you are familiar with, uh, as it's called sometimes, the love passage, 1 Corinthians 13, a great, wonderful chapter. It's short, uh, which I like, but it's also very, very informative. And in that little chapter in 1 Corinthians, he lays out to us that love is more than some specific things. And these, things are, these other things are good. He talks about the ability to, to have tongues or languages, the ability to preach, and the ability uh, to extend material needs. Those things are, are loving and part of love. But love is more than the ability to edify others with language or preaching or to attend to material needs, as important as those are. But all of those things are void if not accompanied by love, that is, self-giving and putting others' needs above our own. So, again, what is love? Well, let's start with the most, the greatest, the ultimate condescension and the greatest self-gift of all time, quite simply, John 3.16. And we see in Romans 5.10 the great reconciliation that Christ provided for us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, we see that we are shown grace unto salvation. All of that was done to us while we were dead in our sin. So we need to start there with our understanding. The greatest gift of, of love, of the greatest ex example of love we, that could be imagined is, is Christ and his work on the cross. So if we start there and realize that we were dead in our sins, he reached out to the dead sinners to reconcile them to himself. There was nothing in us that warranted love. There was no feeling that he could have had to us other than his righteous wrath to those who have rejected him. Yet he reached out and loved us. He did something for us on purpose. It wasn't generated by a feeling. Now, it may sound kind of silly to put it in those terms, but think about it. That is where love starts. That is the place where we've got to understand what love is first before moving on. So, be, so we move from that um, into Philippians 2, some other very familiar verses for us. And we see that love is affectionate and compassionate and puts the needs of others before ours. Philippians 2, verse, starting at verse 1, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. So we see there in Philippians 2, both the reference to the ultimate gift of love with Christ, but then very practical things that we can do for each other, starting with putting the needs of, the, uh, of others and the interests of others above our own. So we begin to see a little bit about what love is. Now we're going to walk through some things here that describe love, but then help us to see how we can love. So how do we love one another? And maybe even in particular those who are hurting. And by the way, we don't know who is hurting until we begin loving one another, until we begin engaging in spiritual friendship. And the hurting doesn't always mean a disaster in people's lives, a marriage that's gone wrong, um, some terrible sin that they're struggling with. Uh, sometimes it's what we think of as maybe the little sins or the little misunderstandings or the things that… Uh, that where people are confused or struggling with their walk with Christ in ways that don't show outwardly. 
So let's look at, at love a little more deeply here. We're given quite a vivid picture of love from the script, these scriptures that I've already read, particularly in the ultimate example of Christ, obviously, in His finished work on the cross. And even his ongoing work, which we'll see here in a minute, which he is sitting at the right hand of the Father now as our advocate, continuing to love us continuously. Love um, is first selfless in nature, as we've already read. Then it's at once humble, but it's also accommodating and accepting and exhorting. Then we see that love is in stark contrast again to the worldly concept of love of fleeting feelings or simply romance, love is action for the benefit of others. So we see that there's sort of work to be done here. It's something that we do purposefully to and for one another. We know that as, as believers, we are to love God, and we do so through obedience. We see that in 1 John 5. Uh, for this is the love of God that we, what, keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And remember, one of His commandments is to love one another. We see in, uh, in uh, 2 John 1, 6, and this is love that we walk according to His commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. He who has my, who, excuse me, he who has my commandments and keeps them is one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So without that love, we can't even not know Christ. We can't know him without loving him. We see that in John 14. So then, again, loving one another is a way to love the Lord Jesus. Again, as he commanded us in John 13. As we walk along with those in a discipleship relationship, particularly during times of suffering or trial, there are some specific ways that we can love each other. The first one really is affection. We love each other by affection, showing affection. It, it, it's really, at first, uh, affection is really a, a, a desire to spend time with someone, to show them that you're willing to spend time with them, to give of yourself, put aside your needs of all the busyness in your life and spend even a little time with someone. Time and friendship can never be overlooked. The importance of, sorry, the, the importance of time and, and friendship can never be overlooked. Approaching challenging and sensitive issues and sins with gentleness as one who cares rather than simply as the teacher or the one who's more mature or who knows Scripture better, it demonstrates love if that will allow for a deeper and meaning, more meaningful conversation. And once you show that gentleness and that sensitivity and that affection to someone, uh, they're going to be more willing to have a soft heart and begin to, to reveal the things that they're really struggling with where they need to, be, where they need to change. 1 Thessalonians 2, but we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Showing the affection to another as, and care and gentleness so much so as a, as a mother does for her child, tenderly caring for them, that's something that we can do and should do for each other. So love starts, sh uh, showing love, how we love other people starts with affection. Again, it sounds so silly, but maybe boil it down to this, showing somebody that you have the desire to spend time with them first. We can love each other by being compassionate, because without it, it's difficult to truly understand and be helpful to somebody. We need to place ourselves in the other person's situation, have compassion on them. How would, would I be feeling, how would I respond, how would I be struggling if I was in their shoes? We are to be like Timothy in, in Philippians 2, who had a kindred spirit and was genuinely concerned with others' welfare. We can show love 
by being forgiving. Love others by being forgiving. And remember, this is a, this is a whole class and sermon of its own, the whole concept of forgiveness. But remember, the one who has, if you put it this way, the victim of in a, in a, in a relationship, so to speak, is the one who is to forgive. It's not the one who did the wrong who has the responsibility to forgive. It's the one who has been wronged. So we are to have a very humble spirit. Love is no more vividly demonstrated than when we forgive someone, as need we be reminded, Christ forgave us while we were his enemies. He died for us and granted forgiveness. Romans 5.8. Being forgiving. This also carries the connotation of patience or forbearance with someone for the struggling person as they wrestle with certain issues and sins and misunderstandings. We need to be patient with each other. That forgiveness of things that they may have done wrong, but forgiveness in their, their struggle, being patient, forbearing with them as they work through challenges in their life. That's how we show love. Certainly, we, we show love um, in, in ways that, that go on and on in, in specific details. Colossians 3 is a great place to go. Colossians 3.12, so as those who have been chosen by God and who are holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as who, as what? The Lord forgave you, just as the Lord forgave us, so you should also forgive each other. Again, Colossians 3, a great place to see how we can begin that, to show love to others. Clearly, there's uh, the concept of sharing. We love each other by sharing. We give, giving to others what God has given to us. Our time, our money, our possessions, our knowledge of the word. We impart all these things to those in, in physical ways as well. Love is all of the compassion and forgiveness and affection that I described, but it's also the physical stuff too. We tend to think of the physical stuff first, which is fine. It's important to help people physically, but what's more important is that we bring it with the compassion, the understanding, the forgiveness. We're, we're called very specifically in 1 John um, to that, that love is known by how we provide for one another. We know love by this, he says, that he laid down his life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his, his heart against him, how does the love abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or tongue alone, but with deed and truth, 1 John 3.16. A warning in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So it is clear there that not only are we to have compassion and care and kindness, gentleness, love for each other in those spiritual ways, but even physical ways as well. So what's another way we can love one another? Here's one that may not seem obvious, but we are to love one another by pursuing one another, not just waiting for someone to come to us and ask for love. It may sound silly, but sometimes we get busy in our own lives, and it's hard to notice what's going on around us, but we need to be observant. One of the things that Chris talked about a couple of weeks ago was, was being observant, watching, looking out, and asking good questions of those that you interact with. But we can love each other by pursuing one another, going after and going after one who has gone astray for their benefit. People can go astray in lots of different ways. Again, we see this in day-to-day -day life, not just in crisis situations. We're instructed to go to each other, to go after one, each other, to pursue 
so that we can encourage, correct, help, and even save from sin. We're familiar with the passage of, of, that we think of as a disciplinary passage of Matthew 18. But if you read that entire passage, you begin to see something very different than what most people might think there. Starting out in Matthew 18, he says, What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? And if it turns out that he finds it, I, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And then he goes to a passage we're familiar with, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private, and if he listens to you, you have won a brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two with, more with you, that if by the mouth of two or three witnesses that every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And if he refuses to them even to listen to the church, then you would treat him as a Gentile and tax collector. This helps us to, to discern who it is in our midst that we're dealing with. Are they a believer or not? But as believers, we're to go after each other, not in some heavy-handed, hard-hearted way. But if somebody has gone astray, let's go after them. Let's help them. Let's pursue them for their benefit, not for ours. Clearly, there's no obvious benefit to the one who goes after, but the one who is sought is the one who both needs help and benefits from the help. 1 Thessalonians 9, a little bit of a long passage here, but it does help to understand this concept. Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus labored on behalf of the church in Thessalonica so that they would walk worthy of the Lord. Or you recall, brethren, that our labor and our hardship, how working night and day so as not to burden any of you, we proclaimed the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses. And so is God, who devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly, we wanted you to be, we, we, we behaved towards you as believers. Just as you now know, we are exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as the Father would his own children. We're going after them, to implore them to follow after Christ as you would your own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're to pursue after each other, to go after each other, to, to help each other walk in a manner worthy of God who calls us into his own kingdom. So, loving, so pursuing someone for their benefit is, is a loving approach. It's a loving thing. It's a loving activity that we are to do on their behalf. Maybe perhaps the most obvious of all uh, love acts, if you will, to someone is, is praying. It's an action. It does take purpose. Prayer is, for a lot of people, for most of us probably, is not just an easy thing in some sense to be purposeful. Sure, sure we, we pray for when we get into trouble. Uh, we pray when we want something. But to purposefully pray for someone else takes a little work. It takes some preparation. How do I pray for somebody that I don't know? Doesn't make sense. You can pray generally for someone, which is fine, but to pray specifically for someone has some really interesting, specific benefits, and we see that in a couple of places in Scripture. In fact, we see that praying for someone has an immeasurable spiritual benefit that may be responsible for actually increasing the wisdom of someone, revealing knowledge to someone, enlightening someone, and certainly giving someone hope, which we'll talk about in a minute. So, for this reason, he says in Ephesians 1, for this reason too, having heard of the faith of, uh, in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of knowledge of him. So he's praying for these, these, this precious body of believers consistently, constantly, as he sees them loving one another, 
He gives thanks for them and prays for them that they may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. So, how does God use prayer? Honestly, I don't know. I, I don't have a good answer for all that. I don't know the specifics of how God uses prayer, but it's clear in Scripture that we're commanded to pray for one another. We're commanded to pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians. But, we're, but he, he uses prayer as we see here. Here's another one in James 5. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then this verse, you all know, this part of the verse, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I don't know how all that works, but apparently it does. <laughs> and we're commanded to do so. Pray for one another so that we may be healed. Confessing sins to one another. It's interesting that as we pray for others, there is some mechanism that God puts in place, not a magical thing, but in the workings out of his providence and the, the body of believers that, that people will be forgiven. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Be a righteous man. Pray for those you're trying to extend love to. I can't think of a greater way to love one another and tell them, certainly, that you are praying for them and mean it but how do you pray for someone? Well, it has to go back up to the, the things that, that Chris took us through a couple of weeks ago, but it, we have to go back up to this, the list that we just walked through here. We have to pursue others. We have to get to know them so that we can pray for them specifically. Well, one of the other, another, if you will, great ways to, to love, to show love to, to others is to give them hope. The primary means of giving hope to someone is, is not through human efforts, it's not through clever techniques, it's not through psychological manipulation, it's not through distractions, it's not through imparting wishfulness. Rather, it's the consistent, clear speaking of God's Word. Nothing is more important, nothing is more effective, nothing will bring hope better than Scripture. It's it's a challenge that we have to have hope sometimes. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, right after the, the love chapter, if you will, of 1 Corinthians 13, we're told, again, to pursue love, and then he goes on to something else. So 1 Corinthians 14, at the very beginning there, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For, one, uh, for no one understands, but his spirit, in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, That'd be a great skill to have, to be able to speak multiple languages. But even more, he wishes that you would prophesy. And greater is, is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. We edify one another, and we bring hope through the proclaiming to each other of God's Word. And by the way, you know, prophecy in this passage really is a simple word to mean speaking forth, proclaiming publicly. In other words, preaching the truth of God's Word, interestingly enough, to each other, not just outwardly into the, to the world. This is the key, the, the basis for encouragement and comfort in times of trouble and the need to build others up, exhorting others, and even in obedience, speaking God's Word cannot be replaced. We're called to do this for each other. So what are some of the, the tools of giving hope to other people? Well, clearly, as we just <laughs> talked about there, the tools for giving hope really start with God's Word, using God's Word as provided by Him in humility, with care and consistency. 
Guys, as we, as we read together in a disciple or, or biblical discipleship relationship or a biblical friendship, if you will, as we, as we read and study together regarding things like sin and error, we begin to notice things about each other, we begin to notice things in ourselves, and we begin to confess. Both people in a discipleship relationship surely profit from the proclaiming of God's Word to each other. Remember, the dependability of God's Word um, is, is without question. We see in Isaiah 55, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter which I sent it. The Word of God is powerful. It's always useful. It's always relevant. And it is penetrating. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of the joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need that ourselves, and everybody around us needs that. Remember the power and the practicality of God's Word, if you will. 2 Timothy 3, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and effective and equipped for every good work. The first set of tools, if you will, for giving someone hope in love is Scripture. It's that simple. Reading Scripture to each other with each other. What is biblical hope? <clears throat> giving hope is the most loving thing you can do for some people. But contrary to a wishful desire, biblical hope can be described as a confident expectation of a future blessing based on the character and promises of God. A confident expectation of future blessing. And it's not just based on the word of man. It's not a wishful thinking. God himself, his character is behind the hope that we have. Read through the Bible. We know how it ends. We start there. We know who wins, and we know what happens to the believers. We've got to start in any, certainly, crisis relationship or, or, or situation going clear back to the gospel. We give each other hope. Not that we can fix problems. We can't fix each other's problems, and we should never promise those that we can fix things for other people. We can't change circumstances always. We can't correct the sins of other people around them but rather we can point our minds, we can anchor our souls to the one who created all things, decreed all events, died to save us, has risen again to eternally advocate us at the right hand of the Father in heaven. We start there, giving hope to each other with what, who God is what he, and what he has done. Remember, the, the assurance of hope is, is unassailable. And his source is Scripture. The beginning and end of all hope is God's Word. Hebrews 6, 19. This hope we have as the anchor of our soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Romans 5, 15. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Let me say that again. So through the perseverance and as we persevere, as we, as we, as we persist, we carry on. Through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, Romans 15, 4. The ultimate assurance we have is, is realized for the Christian in biblical promise. 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing what? 
that your toil is not vain in the Lord. Our toil for Him and with each other is not vain. We have the ultimate hope in the victory through Jesus Christ. So how do we give hope? Hopelessness is, to say the least, is discouraging, is depressing, it's even distracting. Without hope, any assistance that we try to offer someone is in vain. And we would be left to the unsatisfying and misleading techniques of the world. We can try distracting somebody from their problems. We can blame others. We can avoid things that, uh, that they don't want to deal with or that we don't want to deal with. So to try to cope with pain and misfortune and tragedy and sin and loss with, with things like distraction and techniques is, is, is vanity. It may work for a while. People just go, to, go to counselors outside of anything biblical and people go to drugs, people go to alcohol. They try to distract themselves and it works for a few moments, but it doesn't change anything. But God in his mercy and his wisdom has given us his word which tells us who he is, what his plan is, <clears throat> allowing us to be discouraged. Yeah, sorry, encouraged. <laughs> so, how do we give hope? Well, again, as it's already been made uh, clear, hopefully by now, we start with the gospel. We start with the gospel with each other. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can never get tired of the gospel. We can never shortchange it. We can never avoid it. If it was important for Paul and others to review the gospel in their letters and epistles to the, to the churches, certainly it can never hurt. <laughs> Importantly, if it was important for him to address it in Scripture as he wrote letters to believers to review the gospel, then clearly any relationship that we have with each other must begin with the ultimate truth because the only real hope in a certain sin-cursed world is in God's Word. 1 Corinthians 15, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which you have received, which you also stand, in which you also stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died according to, uh, for our sins according to the Scriptures. He started with the gospel. And it's interesting, it's all past tense. tense. He's reviewing the gospel for people who have already received it, who have already understood it, who have already accepted it. Start with the gospel. Colossians 1.21, although you were formerly alienated in a hostile mind, engaged in evil deeds, and yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. No matter what problems we have, no matter what issues we're dealing with, no matter what tragedy that we're dealing with, the great hope of the gospel cannot be left out and is the place to start. The hope of the gospel that you have heard is the first place to start in any attempt to give someone hope. So we can give other people hope by reminding them who's in control. Who is in control? Reminding and showing others who is in control helps to calm the spirit and clear the mind. Our eternal state is ordained. It's done. It's fixed as believers. And so it is of little effort that the Lord would lead us through earthly trials. Of all that he has done to secure salvation for us, it's all little stuff that's left. Now, we live in a temporal world where loss of a job, loss of a loved one, financial problems, emotional struggles, marital relationships, troubles with children, they, they're very acute and they're very, they're, they're tough. They're, they're, they're distracting to us from our great hope. God will lead us through these things. 
We have to remind each other who is in control, and you know these verses very well. Romans 8, 28 through 32, we often almost overuse Romans 8, 28, but read the whole passage there. And I'll start with what we know, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that we would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called, and those who he called, he justified, and those who he justified, he also glorified. All that's past tense. And reading on, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? That's not trivial. We've got to anchor ourselves back to the great hope and the one who is in control of all things. Whatever trial we're going through, we must look at through the lens of what Christ has done. And remember, he gave his son to his enemies for their benefit eternally and has decreed all these things and has caused all these things to happen in, in our lives. He is in control and causes all these things to happen for good. How will he not also help us and freely give us all the things that we need as we go through the daily challenges of, of life? Remember, we're not alone. We are not alone. Give hope to each other by reminding them that we're not alone. First of all, we have each other. That is clear. We're told to, to go to a multitude of counselors in the Old Testament. But there is one that we often forget. The Holy Spirit is ever-present in the believer, helping us. He even helps us in prayer because we don't even know how to pray sometimes. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our trials. And he can both sympathize and give us grace in our times of need. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Or do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you're not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. The Holy Spirit is in you, and you are owned by Jesus Christ. We see in Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He is communicating on our behalf. He knows our problems. He is working with us even in the moments we don't think that he is. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know that verse. Hebrews 4. <clears throat> Hebrews 4.14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near to the throne of grace. Help each other. Give hope to those in need. Give them the hope to draw near the throne of grace so that they may receive mercy and find grace in their time of need. Hebrews 4.14. What an amazing thing. A couple other things here. As we remind each other, as we start by, to give hope to each other, especially those in a difficult situation who are suffering and struggling, we start with the gospel. We remind them of the, the greater context of all things. We remind them that they are not alone. They have both the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ interceding, even praying for them on their behalf. Remind them that he will work them through all things. But here's an interesting thing, perseverance. For the believer... We remind each other to persevere and that we will persevere. That's just an interesting thing to think through. Perseverance is certain for the believer. We need to remind each other to persevere, to, to work out, to purposefully keep going on. But we also will persevere 
with the power of Jesus manifest in us. When it seems hopeless, the Lord has given us many, many examples in previous believers' lives, both of the awareness and experience of trials endured. We have all of the things that we see in Scripture. Remind them of Joseph and his, his struggle when everything looked hopeless. Go through Scripture using those familiar stories, if you will, those familiar events in Scripture when things were completely hopeless from the standpoint of those involved and remind them that God was in control then and He is in control now. We will persevere. What seems hopeless in the Lord, I'm sorry, what seems hopeless, the Lord is in control of. We can only see so far as temporal beings, but we have Scripture to remind us of things that have happened. Use personal testimonies. Those things can help as well. We've all gone through different trials. We've all known people who've gone through different trials. And remember that whatever trial that each of us is going through, no matter how trivial or terrible, is preparing us to be a hopeful counselor to someone else who will go through the same thing because there is no, no trial, no temptation. It's not common to man. We need to look past our current circumstance to the eternal hope first and then see trials as an opportunity to manifest the life of Christ in us. 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. Therefore, do not, we do not lose heart. But through our outer, I'm sorry, but though our outer man is decaying, your inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The struggles that we see now are temporal, but we are to have hope in the things which are not seen, which are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4. That whole passage from 2 Corinthians 4, 8, all the way through 18. We are to persevere and we will persevere as believers. Because remember, these are light momentary afflictions, even though they seem horrible and, un, and hopeless to us at the moment. Just a, another minute or so here. <clears throat> remember this. Give hope to each other. Impart hope to the, to the one struggling with trust and a reminder of safety. We need to have the heart of Job. We need to have the heart of Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, and even Paul during their trials and tribulations. Paul reminds us that we are indeed safe in Christ, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, and that along with the Holy Spirit, he is interceding for us. Remember Job saying this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Job had no idea why he was going through what he was going he through. He lost everything in horrible ways, all of his children, all of his riches and his health. And those around him were not even encouraging. They were, at first, they seemed okay, but over time they began to, to revile him for things he didn't even do. But he had the, as a believer, had the strength to say, though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will also be my salvation, for a godless man may not come before his presence, that being God. <clears throat> Remember this in Jeremiah. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness, I'm sorry, the Lord's loving kindness says, indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Jeremiah 3. Here's one, Jeremiah 3.32. For if he causes grief, which we know he, he does at times, we see Job and others, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. Whatever you are going through, the compassion will be even greater later on. 
Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and ill go forth? Again, Jeremiah 3. And then this great hope. I'll read this last one as my final thing. I'm sorry, I'm five minutes over. But here's the final thing in giving hope and giving love to those in need as we disciple one another, as we walk through life together, as we counsel one another, as we encourage one another. Remember this in the words of, of Paul. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all the day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give each other the hope through Scripture. It's clear that the Lord expects us all to participate in the building up of the body. We're commanded to love one another. We're to give hope to one another. And remember this, believers are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, thus capable of guiding each other and giving hope to each other through the Word. The Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ are interceding. He's, he's given us our word. He's given us the power through the Holy Spirit to begin to understand Scripture. We can do this, and we should do this. And I'm seven minutes over, and I apologize. So hopefully that's encouraging to you from God's word. Thank you all, and we'll be back together at 10 o'clock.